Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Well, it looks like we might have that retest to the downside I've been talking about for weeks now. The Dow Theory is bearish, and Wall Street seemed to have that come-to-Jesus moment today and is finally coming to terms that the Fed is going to address inflation and will remain aggressive on the interest rate front. So let's talk about the carnage on Wall Street. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gaines. All right, to talk about the bloodbath on Wall Street, let's bring on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego, his website, of course, is macrotides.com. And, Jim, real quick, you often take emails from the GAINS listeners, and we appreciate yep. that. Throw that out there as well. Yeah, I'd be happy, Andy, to send uh, any listener the September uh, issue of Macro Tides, uh, which is really relevant and pertinent to you know what's going on and obviously the CPI being part of it. Jim Welsh Macro at gmail.com. So happy to do that. As of the taping of this Gaines podcast, we just had a beatdown today. The worst day since June 2020. So just kind of give you an idea. The Dow uh, was down 1,200 points. S&P 500 down 4%. The NASDAQ, even taking it in that, you know, that's growth tech, down well over 5%. So uh, just a brutal, brutal day on Wall Street. It all comes down to inflation, at least on the headlines. And I just want you to get into that to start, Jim. Why was there such a beatdown on Wall Street? Uh, Explain what Wall Street had been missing so far and the realization that came to be. Uh, You know, what was behind the sell-off? Well, the headlines and storyline will be that investors were disappointed that inflation didn't fall more. Uh, Remember, a month ago, inflation dropped and everybody got very, very excited. Um, So the the main point I would make, Andy, it has nothing to do with whether inflation dropped another two-tenths of percent or not. What it does have to do is Wall Street has continued to develop in recent months bullish scenarios regarding monetary policy. So back in March and April, the FOMC and Chair Powell said, we're going to raise the funds rate expeditiously to 2.5%. Wall Street didn't believe it. 
and as a result, the S&P dropped from 4,600 to 3,650, call it. Uh, in the last month or so, the narrative was, well, the Fed's going to raise the funds rate and then bring it down early next year. Well, Chair Powell obviously uh, disputed that. The market then sold off from 4,300 uh, to just under 3,900. The new narrative has been that uh, investors just don't believe the Fed is going to follow through. And that is the reason why today's CPI report had such a disproportionate impact on the market is because it kind of blew up the narrative, which was never realistic if one had bothered to listen to FOMC members and Chair Powell. But that's really what caused the market to decline. Everyone had this bullish narrative. Inflation was going to come down. The Fed would ease policy in a few months and everything would be A-OK. And the CPI report kind of woke them up. I've been saying for weeks, if not months now, <clears throat> those lows in June didn't feel like the washout that was needed that we often yep. have at the bottom of the market. So, yes. you know, I also am a believer of the Dow theory. So no surprise here. But we've been hearing for quite some time now. It's like a lot of uh, players in the financial world, like not believing the Fed's going to follow through with this. And, yep. and this may speak to the credibility problem that was put in place <laughs> you know, months and, and up yeah. to a year yeah. ago. So this is really a Fed a, a, a Fed expectation type yeah. move for the market. Another big factor here, you and I talk about it all the time, yeah. labor, jobs. How does yeah. that, all, you know, the expectation of uh, unemployment and the jobs market, how's that kind of play into this mix as well? That's a big component to this. Explain, Jim. Yeah, and I've discussed this uh, in my letters that everyone is focused on inflation and the idea that it would be coming down. And I agree, inflation is going to continue to decline between now and, and the end of uh, March of next year. I think the CPI will be under 5%. And it could be approaching 4%. But that, as welcome news as that is, I believe the Fed is going to be far more focused on the tightness in the labor market. Chair Powell has talked about this for months, and he used the word extreme tightness in the labor market. And uh, what that means is that unless we see the unemployment rate rise, and we'll talk about how much it may have to rise in a minute, labor market tightness is going to continue to put upward pressure on wages. And that's really the sticky inflation since the cost of goods and services are primarily due to, especially services, due to wage inflation. So I have felt that, the, you know, investors were completely so focused on just the inflation side of the equation that they've completely ignored uh, labor market tightness and that between now and uh, well, the next handful of months, that messaging, I think, is going to come home. And what it implies, and, and the Fed has, again, already said what they're going to do. They're going to raise the funds rate up to a modestly restrictive level, three and three quarters to maybe four and a quarter by early next year. The key point, Andy, is that they've said they're going to keep it at that level all of next year, which completely is against the, the narrative that the street has been running. Now they're going to raise it up and then they're going to bring it down. And it, my point has been is that by doing that, they avoid some of the mistakes of the 1970s where they really stepped on the brakes hard only to create a recession. They then would have to reverse policy. 
And the net result is inflation kept hitting a higher and higher plateau until finally it got up to over 15% in 1979, 1980. So Fed wanting to avoid that has adopted a, you know, a mindset and a framework. We're going to raise the funds rate to a level that is modestly restrictive. We're not trying to crater the economy, toss it into recession. We want to slow things down so over time we can see more slack in the labor market develop without creating a recession that would force us to reverse policy. The street and most investors have not been listening to that message but I believe it is the most important message that the Fed is going to continue to deliver in the next three to six months. When we were at those June lows, did you also notice that it just didn't show those proper characteristics at a bottom? Is there no surprise that we're heading back down to those those June lows after we saw them come aggressively off right. them and yeah. it just didn't feel like a washout? Uh, we've talked about this before. I, I just would love to get your take on that. Yeah, again, I thought the market was going to rally w- when we were at the mid-June lows because it was deeply oversold. Uh, sentiment had gotten very, very negative. The Fed had just increased the funds rate by 75 basis points. Um, and my expectation was we were going to see inflation start to come down. When that happened in mid-July, the CPI re- uh, you know, dropped from 9.1 in June to 8.5. The S&P rocketed higher. My thought was, as we got to 4,300, that it was a good time to take money off the table because I expected a pullback uh, in the market uh, based on the chart pattern and, you know, again, the Fed messaging that they're going to be more hawkish than the street had fully acknowledged. So I agree with you. The, the, the typical signs of a washout uh, just didn't uh, materialize. In other words, the VIX didn't get above 40 as one of the indicators, if you will, of a true washout. So your perceptions, Andy, uh, were 100% on the mark. And all along, again, uh, I keep going back to how do they get inflation down? Larry Summers, a couple months ago, put out a piece, and, he, and they looked, using various economic models, how much will the unemployment rate have to go up to bring inflation down by 1% and ultimately get it to near the Fed's target of 2%. And Summer said, okay, one year at 10 and a quarter percent of unemployment, 6.5% for two years. Chris Waller, who's a board member on the Fed, kind of re- responded and said, no, 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 it doesn't have to be that high. And in fact, we think uh, we could bring inflation down if the unemployment rate only rises to 5%. So as I've been writing, is the stock market priced for an unemployment rate at 5% or higher? Absolutely not. <laughs> yep. No, no, it isn't. And in fact, I went back to like 1953, Andy, and looking at how much the unemployment rate rose during other episodes of the Fed tightening uh, and with inflation, obviously, for the most part, lower than it has been in recent months, the average increase was 2.1%. Well, that would imply the Fed funds pardon me, the unemployment rate, getting to about 5.5%. So, again, the Fed is focused on the labor market, the tightness, the pressure on wages. And I think the reason is that from the Fed's point of view, they're looking out over the next three to five years. And so they believe that they need to get enough slack in the labor market over the next 6 to 12, 18 months so that once the economy bottoms, and whether we go into a recession or just have an extended period of really low growth, But once the economy starts to turn up, 
that the um, wage inflation won't kick in quickly because labor market tightness hasn't been uh, addressed fully. So that's why the Fed believes, I think, you know, and optimistically, the unemployment rate has to go to at least 5% to create enough slack so at the beginning of the next cycle, uh, wage inflation doesn't become a, a problem quickly. I don't think anyone in the stock market, and people I hear, you know, the experts suppose it on Wall Street, I don't hear anybody talking about this. And yet, to me, this is the key point in what's going to guide monetary policy over the next six to 12 months. And the ramifications are a retest of the June lows and probably taking out those uh, those lows is highly likely. The 50 percent retracement from the 2200 low in March of 2020 on the S&P to the high at just over 4800 is right around 3500. So my expectation has been sooner or later as the economy shows more signs of slowing and potentially going into a recession, we would see the S&P work its way down to 3,500. The 618 retracement is, I think, closer to 3,100 to 3,200. So that can't be ruled out either. So the, the point I would make, and you and I have talked about this, you know, there's a lot of people on Wall Street running a lot of money. They've been in the business 25, 30 years. They do, in fact, have a lot of experience under the belt. But even people who have been in the business 30 years have never experienced directly inflation at 40-year highs and the monetary response that's required to really bring inflation down. I've often said inflation coming down from 9% is very much different than inflation peaking at 4% and coming down. And I think that lack of understanding and experience is why Wall Street has really consistently over the last nine months misjudged the path and direction of monetary policy. And that's a great point because even somebody who's been a professional in the markets for 30 years, anything that we saw close to this, they were literally in elementary school. So that that's a great point that you make. Um, and I think also, Andy, if I can interject, yeah. last year when Powell kept saying, oh, it's going to be transitory. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why, A, because of, that was a bullish uh, narrative, but why um, people with 25, 30 years of experience said, well, hey, Powell thinks it's transitory. Well, I'm going to think that, too. Plus, there's always that career risk. You're not going to disagree with Chair Powell uh, and say it's not going to be transitory because if you're wrong, well, we did. We did. Jim, you yes. and I did. <laughs> and that's did. why people should listen to the Gaines podcast regularly. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of we bring a different angle. And uh, I'm going to tell you, go back and listen to the Gaines podcast. Yep. We hold up. We hold yep. up, uh, and and we've talked about a lot of different things that the so-called talking heads on all the financial media and networks d- haven't touched, and that's why you should listen to the Gaines Podcast. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with Jim Welsh. We'll hit Jim up with plays. We'll talk a, a little bit more technical about the market. But, hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as we've just discussed The Gains Podcast brings a lot of value and a different take than what you would hear in a lot of other places. And subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. We'll be right back with Jim after the break. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego, California. His website, macrotides.com. Jim, give him the uh, email address. Uh, Jim Welsh Macro at Gmail. And I'll give you my email too for any additional questions. Andy dot Gersher, G I E R S H E R at Odyssey, that's A U D A C Y dot com. Jim, let's take a look at markets technically. How far could we see things slide to the downside? Put in a couple uh, of levels that you're watching, those key levels. Let's hit on those again. Well, the lows that we saw uh, about a week and a half ago, 38.87 on the S&P, is going to – I think the market is going to try to hold uh, at that range somewhere between 38.50 and 38.75. We might even see a little bit of a bounce I don't expect, any that that bounce will last. Um, I think the odds are we're going to, at a minimum, drop towards 37.70. And again, as I said earlier, a drop to 3,500, maybe 3,200. That may be three to six months from now. In other words, in the first quarter, where we see the ultimate bottom show up in the market. Uh, so there's going to be uh, periods where the market gets hit, get oversold, rally, just like we saw from the mid-June low, as well as, you know, a week and a half ago when the S&P rallied from 38.87 to 41.19. I just have felt that with monetary policy on the course that the FOMC has told us it's going to be taking, it's just tough for the stock market to rally. And at the same time, the Fed's stated goal is to slow economic growth, and ultimately that's going to have a negative impact on earnings. The market hasn't really addressed that and has instead, you know, wanted to develop narratives. Oh, the Fed's not going to raise much. Then they're going to bring them down. And that's why earnings expectations for next year have really been haven't gone through a haircut, Andy. But I think that is what's coming. And that's why I think the market is vulnerable over the next three to six months. 
You have a, a really unique uh, philosophy of charting the markets, and I wanted you to touch on that. Get into a little bit more details, and we're looking 101 here, but when you're talking about these different phases, these waves yep. that they go through, kind of explain that. Uh, we've talked about Fibonacci before. Yep. Gaines listeners, go down that rabbit hole. Uh, it goes beyond just finance. Uh, it's yep. it's really kind of a cool thing, but yeah, you know, it's kind back, of based on human behavior. Yes, Andy. I mean that's and the nature at large. This, the yes, Fibonacci yes. can be found anywhere in, from the the cosmos down to the cellular level. But it's but cool. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So explain how you're using that Fibonacci concept when you're charting markets, Jim. Right. Okay. So just basically, we'll review. The S&P bottomed at 2190 in March of 2020. It topped in January this year at 4818. So Fibonacci basically says, okay, monetary policy is about to become uh, negative in terms of the, the market. The Fed's going to be raising interest rates. That's usually not a good thing for the stock market. So what kind of a retracement is likely? So if you take the 382 of that gain from 2200 to 4800, that was at about 3815. That's why in uh, April, as the Fed was telling us, hey, we're going to raise funds rate to neutral, 2.5% expeditiously as possible, I felt that the S&P would drop to 38.50. As we know, it, it undercut that a little bit in uh, June at 36.37. Uh, so um, at that point, it was like, okay, we're going to get a rally. Well, what kind of a rally we can get? 1,200 points, you take a 50% of that 1,200 point decline from the January high to the June low. It's about 600 points. You add 600 points to 36.37, and you come up with a number above 4,200. So what that, that math does is provide a framework of where the market might go. And then what I try to do is tie all that good stuff with fundamentals. So as I said earlier, and, and you know year. that one thing. Sorry to interrupt here, yeah, but that's I think that's a key thing that yep. you bring to the table, and and we we've, we've often talked about it. Yep. Is it's that combination of technicals and fundamentals to really get a true view of the market. Well, and it also honestly, Andy, has helped me gain conviction. Um, you know, when the market was making highs in January, I had written in the December uh, 2021 macro tides that I thought the S&P could drop 15 to 20 percent uh, in the first half of this year based on the shift in monetary policy in a 20-year cycle that's been pretty consistent. Um, so it, for me, it's just really important. To, I have to have to figure out, well, there must be a reason for people to sell. Because that's the, the Wall Street is long biased. So in order to get institutions to sell, there has to be a pretty good reason that makes them feel like they're better off raising cash and unloading stocks. So now, given what we know with monetary policy and where things stand, that 50 percent retracement near 3,500 becomes the next obvious target in terms of where could the market get to. And, um, you know, it's one step at a time. I, I always use the analogy. It's like driving your car, looking through the, uh, you know, your uh, window uh, just in front of your grill. You're not trying to predict where is it going to be, a, a, you know, a six months, 12 months from now, just what's happening. And that's where technical analysis can provide a lot of help in terms of defining the, the path and the, that the market may take. So to me, given what we've seen um, today, and the reaction, 
Um, I, I think, you know, the market is going to be on the defensive, at least until we get uh, into and through the Fed meeting next uh, Wednesday. And as far as plays, you know, it's it's hard to come up with a lot of plays if you're starting to yep. lean a little bearish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, how are you playing this? What's your advice for the gains listener, you know, we're a little bit more uh, tolerant of risk. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, the the individual investor at large. Okay. So uh, what's interesting, Andy, is uh, treasury yields have been climbing since March of 2020. And if you look at a chart of TLT, uh, we're at the point where I can almost count five waves down. And so five waves up, five waves down. Uh, again, using pattern analysis, means you're nearing a, a trend reversal. And then it's a question of do you retrace 382, 38.2%, 50%, and so forth. So to me, and this sounds kind of outlandish, I'm looking for an entry point to buy TLT, which is the uh, Long Bond Treasury ETF. I think that somewhere over the next soon that TLT is going to bottom since it's in, I believe, the end of a five-wave decline that started over two years ago. And TLT today closed about 107.60. I think if you can buy it under 106, uh, and I always say scale in, take a one-third position because, you know, things are obviously still facing a headwind. Uh, But I think a, a minimum rally target would be 120 in potentially 130. So that may not happen until we get into next year. Uh, but I, I love it because it's a contrary opinion trade. So that TL- technical analysis. So that TLT is the iShares 20 plus year treasury bond ETF. And yeah. are, are you starting, are you dollar cost averaging into that? Are you waiting yeah. for a, a, a particular moment to deploy or how are you playing yeah. that? Okay, what I recommended yesterday in the weekly technical review, so I do a monthly report, and then I do a, a weekly technical review every Monday, and the suggestion was to buy a 33% position under 106. It got down to 106.24 today, uh, so uh, you know we'll see if I have tried to cut it too uh, finally, but that's my uh, approach is that, okay, we're, we're kind of bucking the trend right here. So we don't want to go all in, in one fell sweep. That's why I like the idea of scaling in. So one third under one Oh six and um, you know, potentially could it drop to one Oh three, one Oh two, of course uh, in the kind of environment that we're in. But I, I think from a risk reward standpoint, you know, another three, four points down compared to uh, 13 to as many as 23 points upside. That's a good risk reward. And it yields, you know, as a decent yield while you're waiting, hopefully, for that uh, that trade to unfold. How about metals? You know, we've talked about gold and silver in the past. Um, yes. Gold, I, you know, here's the one thing about metals, Jim, too, is I, I just can't believe how cheap metals are. I mean, we're in a, you know, in an environment that for years we've been told this is when precious metals rally. I mean, right. gold's the hedge against inflation. Uh, and uh, it seems gold and silver, especially silver, actually, for yeah. me, yeah. seem really, really cheap right now. Your thoughts on the precious metals? 
again, based on chart analysis, uh, I felt that the decline from the August uh, 20, uh, or last year's high at $2,070, had a big drop uh, into March of last year, a rebound, and then the low that we saw in August completed a big correction that started from that August 2020, uh, 2070 high. Uh, off that low at 1681, uh, there was five waves up, and then gold has pulled back, uh, dropped I think last week again into the 1680s. So my uh, suggestion, and this is much more of a short-term trade compared to TLT, is I think as long as gold holds above 1675, 1680, that we'll see uh, gold rally up to 1805 to 1800. 15, uh, with an outside chance of 1850 uh, showing up. So I think uh, if I'm right, over the next two to four weeks, gold has the potential of you know rallying 100 bucks from where it is right now, uh, which would be gain about what six percent, something like that. And again, so. just getting gains in in a market that's really rough right now making a couple of plays that you feel are relatively safe that could give you a little bang for the buck isn't a bad idea. Uh, no. Um, and again, I'm, you know, the idea here is to know where you are wrong. And I feel a pretty high conviction level regarding TLT based on its pattern. Sentiment couldn't be more negative. Uh, positioning in the Treasury bond futures has become more and more supportive. In other words, there's a lot of short trades that have built up uh, in Treasury bonds because everybody, oh, the Fed's going to keep hiking rates and all the rest of that. Bond yields have to go up. Um, I just think that things are setting up for a pretty strong rally in TLT over the next you know, three to six months, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and therefore, relative to the risk that people are facing in equities, um, I just think that's a way more attractive route to go. Um, the other sector I would look at is energy. Um, you know, longer term, if we look at the last 50 years, uh, in 1973, OPEC, uh, you know, enforced an embargo so they wouldn't uh, export uh, oil to the U.S. and other Western countries. Oil went from three dollars in 1973 to twelve dollars and seventy-four to thirty-nine dollars in 1979. What then happened is that oil companies increased their drilling budgets by 500 percent, and that result is we had a big increase in oil supply. Oil went from thirty-nine dollars and seventy-nine to uh, ten to eleven dollars by the mid 80s. In 2010 to 2014. Oil was uh, between 85 and 110. Uh, fracking really hit critical mass, brought a huge amount of supply in. What then happened was oil prices dropped from 110 to under 60, and they stayed for the under $60 a barrel uh, almost continuously up until last year. So what has happened, uh, or what happened in those instances? Prices went higher, uh, market forces came to play, increased supply, oil prices came down. We are seeing the exact opposite happening in the United States and in Europe, where uh, you know governments are doing everything they can to damp down uh, fossil fuel uh, investments and increases. So the net result is that the natural process of, hey, oil prices are pretty darn high, 
Um, we should invest more. Uh, that has been truncated. And the net result is we're just not going to see the, the supply of oil increase uh, as it did the last two times we had big energy surges. And that suggests to me that oil prices are going to be higher than they otherwise would. And it also has implications, obviously, for inflation uh, in coming years. So to me, uh, XLE looks, uh, which is the energy ETF, and um, I think it has the potential to rally a bit more. I would use a stop at about $76. And uh, today, uh, XLE closed at 80 So. And again, uh, it has at least a halfway decent yield associated with it. So um, that's a little bit more aggressive. Obviously, you're, if the market has more weakness, uh, you know, like it did today, XLE got swept up in that. But in, in terms of an equity play, Andy, I think energy uh, is a better bet than obviously any technology sector that I would consider. You know, there is the uh, a strengthening dollar. Yep. Do you see anything on the international front that strikes your fancy? <laughs> well, again, until we see a reversal in the dollar index, and the dollar had dropped uh, about 3% from a high it reached a week ago to this morning, and then it rebounded very strongly on that CPI report. So I want to see that the dollar has indeed topped. My expectation is that we're going to see the dollar index drop the high was 110.79. I think it can drop to 105 uh, and potentially a bit lower. Uh, but until we see that, Andy, that the, the strength in the dollar means other currencies are declining. So if they are oil importer or food importers, um, they're paying for those purchases in dollars. So they have to convert their currency into dollars. And since their currencies are depreciating against the dollar, the inflationary impact uh, is, is significant. So a lot of countries are seeing high inflation or higher inflation because their currencies have been weak. And then their central banks are then forced to raise rates and tighten monetary policy in those countries. So the strength in the dollar, you know, really casts uh, wide ripples, uh, especially in the emerging market economies. So until we see the dollar peak in truly pull back um, a, a bit to give a hint. Uh, I just think that there's a headwind for emerging market, uh, uh, you know, f funds, uh, ETFs, uh, that has to be respected until we see that reversal take place. You know, commodities that you get from abroad, though, with a stronger dollar definitely keeps those prices lower. Uh, yep. On the other side of the coin, definitely can have – an impact on corporate profits, especially if a lot of those profits are made overseas. Yeah, uh, and yeah. it can also weigh in on demand as well because a strong dollar makes goods that we export abroad more expensive in the local currency. Just see, you know, as we're finishing up here, just explain yeah. that real quick. Well, it's very simple. Again, if a currency declines against the dollar, and you're buying goods produced and exported from the United States, you're going to pay 10% more if your currency went down 10%, even if there hasn't been a price increase on the things you're buying. So, um, you know, the global economy, especially Europe, is, in my view, is going to be in a recession. I, I just think that that's like a, a sure deal. And, uh, you know, the weakness in Europe and other parts around the globe, you know, is obviously going to have a negative impact on global growth in general. 
Uh, I believe about 40% of S&P earnings are earned overseas. So um, that's another feedback loop that's, I think, going to put pressure on earnings over the next, uh, you know, six months or so, uh, both weaker economies overseas and the dollar strength uh, impacting sales of uh, U.S. companies over to, you know, abroad. So that's a very good point. And I think, again, that ties into if earnings, which are expected to be about $240, drop to about $200, uh, which would be about the average decline during a recession, uh, the PE on the S&P would drop probably under 16 and approach 15. That's how you get to the numbers like 3,200 on the S&P if we see uh, earnings estimates for next year really start to be marked down. And that typically is the last thing to happen, the last shoe to drop before a good bottom is put into place. And I think that, again, is another risk for investors besides monetary policy is a haircut to earnings that then causes the P.E. ratio to contract. We're already seeing it in technology stocks based on the increase in Treasury yields and overall interest rates. P.E. ratios get contracted or get compressed based on the higher cost of money. Yeah, certainly a lot of moving parts here. Well, you gave us three interesting picks, XLE on the energy front, TLT on the Treasury front, and uh, your vehicle for gold, GLD? Uh, well, either GLD or IAU. Okay. Um, you know, because IAU is uh, $32 and change versus 158 So it makes it a little bit easier for people to scale in and out of IAU as opposed to GLD and at the same time be able to participate if the analysis is correct and we're going to see a pop towards 1800 in the next handful of weeks. But both good vehicles of getting exposure to gold. Um, Yeah, they're identical, basically. They're going to mirror each other in terms of how they move relative to gold. All right, Jim. So as we wrap up today's gains podcast, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, again, I think the focus should be on labor market tightness, uh, not on inflation declining, because I think that's where the Fed's focus and attention is going to be over the next three to six months. And that will guide monetary policy way more than a decline in the CPI, which, as I said earlier, I think the CPI will be under 5 percent, maybe in approaching 4 percent by by next March. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego, and, of course, the website, macrotides.com. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. I'd really appreciate the solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday morning, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast, powered by Odyssey. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. For a 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.